0: It's always good seeing you. Still mad at you about not coming to Texas Tech? I guess it worked out for you, you know.
1: Uh, Does anyone on that staff ever forget? Like, I I see Coach Leach all the time. He references, like, Coach of all things, you're going to talk about that. Like, it's only been 20 years. Like, come on, man. You're a heartbreaker. You've
0: always been a heartbreaker, man.
1: (laughs) All right, here we are. That's right. We're at the midway point. Just continue to chug along. It's been really fun, to be honest with you. Getting into some of these teams, starting to learn about them, starting to learn some players maybe we didn't know here in the early going. I'm not sure a lot of you guys were on the TCU bandwagon. I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I liked TCU, all right? I like. There was plenty of teams I was wrong on, but I was not wrong on TCU. Not at all surprised to see them having success, and I'm thrilled for Sonny Dykes. He's actually going to join the show here in just a little bit, so we really appreciate Sonny Dykes and TCU making that happen. We know it's a busy week for the Horned Frogs. We're also going to get into some midterm grades, all right? So there's a lot that we need to evaluate. We hit a few yesterday. We'll hit a few more today. We might even do nine, all right? There might be nine coaches that are going to get midterm grades, at least at this point. So we have a lot to do here on a busy Tuesday edition of Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. If you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up button right below. If you're on the podcast, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, hit us up. Five stars, please. Nothing less. Uh, rate as you choose. Do as you please. Just make sure you subscribe and download. That'll help us out as well. So without much further ado, let's get into it. Thrilled to be joined by the undefeated head coach of the TCU Horn Frogs, Sonny Dykes. Coach, congratulations on an incredible start, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Excited. Uh, guys are playing well, so it's been fun so far.
1: It's amazing to me just how quickly this this thing has turned around. And look, I love GP, and I think he's a great coach and did a great job there for a really, really long time, man. But you waved the magic wand, and it's amazing to see just how different things are from where they were last year to where they were this year. What would you say was your first priority when you took over?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing was just to get the buy-in from the players, and uh, you got to give our, our guys a ton of credit. I mean, they stuck both feet in the water from, from day one, really. And just really did a fantastic job of doing everything we asked him to do. You know, Kaz Kazadi, our strength and conditioning coach, I think was a real big part of that, you know, getting the guys to, to really do everything we ask. And just had a super attitude, really started working hard in January. And, um, you know, you can see in spring ball that we had some pieces. So we just had to try to figure out how to put them together. And, you know, so far we're off to a good start. we got a really challenging schedule. We're going to play four ranked teams here in a row. Um, And then obviously a really good Texas team and a bunch of other good teams down the stretch later in the season. So we got our work cut out for us, but the guys have really played well and played hard so far.
1: Now, you you grew up in the Big 12 and, you know, I grew up in the Big 12 and you and I go back a little ways now, uh, back to when you were at Tech and (laughs) I was a, a young whippersnapper at South Lake Carroll. But I think back to those days of the Big 12, that was like, to me, the heyday of the Big 12, I, but I honestly think, Coach, this year's version of the Big 12, top to bottom, 1 to 10, might be the deepest it's ever been. I, I honestly think that anyone can beat anyone on any given Saturday. So you, knowing that you know the league like the back of your hand and we're so familiar with it, how would you assess just where the league is right now?
0: Yeah, Greg, I think you're right on the money. I mean, I really do think that it is as deep as it's ever been. You know, what league, uh, other than the, than the Big 12 right now, could you say the team? picked last in the league is, is in the top 25 right now. And that was Kansas. And, and that's a very good football team. We were, you know, it was a dog fight. We were fortunate to win that game. And those guys are just very, very difficult to beat, particularly there in Lawrence. It was a great, great game day atmosphere and a great crowd. Um, So it's a, I mean, it is a really, really good league. You just look around week to week. You don't really have any idea who's going to win. I think there's been a ton of surprises uh, week after week. And, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of a pecking order, but, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, Whoever the the team that's the number one team, uh, they could easily get beat by the team that everybody views as the number 10 team. And I just don't think there's any other league in college football right now where you can say that.
1: Yeah, and we did did the game last week with Texas and Oklahoma coach, and Uh, And I was talking to Texas's program. They're like, y'all, West Virginia might be last in the league. They're legit. (laughs) Like, they're really good. (laughs) So (laughs) they felt good about it. They completely agree. Everyone I've talked to that knows the league like the back of their hand, they totally agree. Your team in particular, though, has been one of my favorites all season long. Uh, Your quarterback situation, obviously Chandler, that's who you went with that coming out the gates. In goes Max and the rest is history you know what can you say about your quarterback and just how he's elevated his play after what was an incredible competition
0: yeah you know it was a good competition I mean obviously Max had started a lot of football games around here and had played well and um you know Chandler had too. in the limited amount of, of opportunities he had had he had he had played well and so we went with Chandler he got injured uh in the second quarter actually third quarter in the first game and Max came in stepped right in and picked up where he left off um as a starter you know he just he just competes so hard um he's one of those kids that makes everybody around him better he's got kind of a quiet confidence about him and a steadiness I think that everybody appreciates and he truly is the ultimate competitor I mean he just you know the the more you knock him down the more he gets up and and he just loves to play the game he's got a passion for it and He's really starting to figure some things out. I mean, he's going through his, his progressions much more quickly. He's much more decisive in his decision making. He's doing a better job of throwing the ball to his particular spots and letting guys go get it. Um, just the sense of timing and spacing is, is much improved. Accuracy is better. And I think it all begins with just his confidence and understanding in the offense. And we've done a pretty good job for most of the year so far of, of protecting him. And, and that helps him with his confidence as well. And He's got a lot of playmakers, and he knows that he doesn't have to go out and necessarily win the game himself. He's certainly capable of doing that, but he doesn't have to do that. He can spread the ball around, hand it off from time to time, and, and that'll also take a little bit of heat off of him. And so he's done everything we've asked him to do. He's played like we certainly were thought he was capable of playing and then some. Uh, he's a good runner, so you just can't say enough things about him.
1: Yeah, he's been awesome to watch, man. And I I think it's been interesting, too, because I remember a couple of years ago, he had some type of ailment or he had some type of, uh, they said he couldn't play and he was sidelined for a while. And then next thing you know, he's back out there. So he's one of those guys, coach, that I don't ever feel like he's really gotten a full gamut of development. I mean, COVID, year disrupted so many guys development, but now it feels like, man, he's getting reps, he's getting confidence and I'm not sure there's anybody in the country playing better than him right now. Coach, what about the rest of your offense? Obviously, this is an offense that you can't play quarterback by yourself, uh, but you you got a lot of things going. I particularly love the counter plus play that you ran against OU. I don't know how you cover that. I don't know how you account for that with the run game with the quarterback out the backhand side. That, to me, is an impossible run. It might be the first run I installed if I ever became an offensive coordinator (laughs) somewhere. So how is it that you now have kind of turned an offense that was primarily air raid to now being so balanced, especially using the quarterback run game? When did that transition change?
0: Well, it, it helps with us tremendously when you got a good offensive line. And really, that's, that's what we try to do is figure out, okay, look, what do we have? What are our pieces? And let's try to make this puzzle fit together. And and when you have a, an offensive line that can number one can pass protect, but number two, probably just as important, or maybe even more important, can run block. And so we've got yeah. we've got some guys that can come off the ball. They're physical. They're big. They've got good size. We have some experience. And so that group has really played well. And so when they're they're getting enough push and creating enough holes for our backs to get through, and then we feel like we've got one of the best running backs in college football in Kendry Miller. I mean, he's one of those guys just runs incredibly hard. Finishes runs. Uh, Very, very strong. Also has really good speed. He's good in the open field. And we've got a good complement of of four guys behind him that all bring something different to the table. So we feel like it begins there. And then when you can spread the ball around to guys like Quentin Johnson and Darius Davis and Tay Barber and just a host of other guys that that are capable of making some big plays, then, you know, you can start to, to develop an identity. And when you can keep people off balance running the football, that helps obviously play action. When you can also throw the ball well enough. Now it forces people to, to spin extra guys in the box. And so it's kind of one of those things now where, you know, if we get two safety looks, then we feel like we we're we're good enough up front to be able to run the ball. And if people are spinning and trying to get an extra guy in the box and we feel like we can attack them down the field. So, um, you know, but again, it all begins with the offensive line and, and those guys have played really well up to this point.
1: Yeah, they really have coach. It's been so fun to watch. And I was talking with Cole Kublik, who's one of my good friends is like the offensive line guru at ESPN. And, he loves what you guys are doing. He I, he I lean on him more than anything, and he loves how you guys are playing. And I've been very impressed as well. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about your defense too. I know is an offensive guy that's like diehard offense, Am I allowed to ask about the defense? Is that yeah, all right? yeah,
0: oh no, I mean, that's going <laughs> to me, that's going to determine you know our fate really is is our, is our defense. So I just think that that. In this league, all you got to do is look at last year. The two, the two best teams on defense were playing in the Big 12 championship last year. And so I would imagine whoever ends up being the best team in the league on defense this year will probably be in the championship game as well.
1: Well, what I think is amazing, though, is and I thought that this was just the coolest thing, is that you had been at SMU. You had competed against Tulsa. Uh, I called the AAC championship game a couple years ago. Tulsa gave Cincinnati a talented Cincinnati team all they wanted and more in large part due to what Joe Gillespie did on the defensive, uh, as a defensive coordinator. I mean, he just makes life difficult, uh, really difficult on opposing offenses. So when you were surveying the landscape and thinking, all right, who do I want to bring in to run my defense? Why was it Joe Gillespie?
0: Well, I mean, the most important thing, I didn't want to ever have to coach against him again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the deal. So I thought, like, if I could hire him, I got to coach them against them every day in practice, but we don't certainly don't have to do it on Saturday. So, yeah, you know, to me, um, his defenses were highly um, organized. I thought they had a great scheme. You know, they're, they're kind of that three down drop eight thing that's, that people are going right. through a lot in college football. But what was really impressive that he did probably as much as anything else is, is he adapted to, to offenses. I mean, he really did. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that, you know, as an offense, you, you always try to, to have an adjustment, to, to get ahead. And then Joe was one of those guys. He'd have an answer for your answer. And then you'd have another answer and then he'd have an answer. <laughs> so it was one of those deals where you just never felt like you could get a, a leg up on him. I really liked the way you recruited too. I thought it, it fit our program, you know, his ability to go out and sign a bunch of a long rangy guys and develop them. Right. Uh, you know, if you looked at Tulsa's defense, they were a bunch of big long athletic guys that ran well. A lot of them were high school wide receivers some of them were high school running backs. You know, some of uh, some of the safeties ended up being big corners. I mean, they just did a great job of, of finding talent and, and being able to project it. Um, you know, the big linebacker they had that was the first round draft pick was a high school quarterback. And so, right. no, they just did a really really good job of finding good football players. And then finding a way for him to be successful in the defensive scheme didn't hurt that he's from right up the road too. He's he's from Stephenville. (laughs) You know, he grew up was had been a high school coach in Texas, very successful, had a great reputation. And and then when I just had a chance to sit down with him, I mean, I think um, you know, just really, really love what he stands for and what he's all about. Really, our players enjoy being around him. They love the way he coaches them. He coaches them hard, uh, but at the same time, they know that he's going to get everything they can that he can get out of them. And and really, that's at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for as a player. Somebody to coach you hard, care about you, and really do a good job developing you, and he certainly does that.
1: No, there's there's no doubt. I, and, hey, like you said, being the head coach of Stephenville for seven years, winning a state championship, probably not, not the worst thing when it comes to the relationship with the High School Coaches Association. I know it's so important. You're a legend in the state of Texas. Um, that, you know, you, Obviously, what your dad did and and the relationships that you've cultivated over the years, uh is that all it's cracked up to be because we we've, we've talked about it with joey mcguire we've hypothesized with other guys man it's so important to be ingrained in the state of texas to be a texan and to be able to relate to the coaches that you'll ultimately be recruiting their players from so how important is that is that as important as they say it is
0: well i think the, i think the biggest thing is you've just got to um you know if you're not from texas you, you got to do a good job like matt rule for example when matt came to baylor right. he really worked hard to build those relationships with high school coaches he didn't He wasn't really from Texas. He didn't really know too many guys, but he just really extended an olive branch, did a great job of doing that. And those guys, those guys appreciate people that recruit their players the right way. You know, you don't have to be from Texas. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt. Certainly doesn't hurt to have those relationships. Certainly doesn't hurt to, to know guys and all that. But at the end of the day, you're going to get judged on how you, how you recruit those players, how you take care of them once you get them. And then just being honest and upfront about, about your business and the way you do it. And so, You know, the the high school coaches in Texas are a fantastic group. It's an incredibly unique group. Um, They really care deeply about their players. They want to see the guys go on and be successful at the next level, and they want to do everything they can to advocate for them. Uh, And so it's important to build those relationships because at the end of the day, a lot of those coaches are going to really uh, have a pretty heavy hand in in where these guys go to school.
1: Yeah, there's no denying that. And uh, it's. I think it's amazing just the stuff that you put together, and I obviously I, you, you recruited me. Like, I, I I love the, your style. I think you're very honest, and I think you'll do an amazing job. You were also an analyst at TCU, and I had forgotten this. There in 2017, you were there for a year, just kind of helping out with the offense and being, you know, an extra set of eyes. What did that experience teach you? Prior to you now taking over, did that help you and that kind of give oh, you maybe a leg up that most coaches wouldn't have?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it did a couple of things. Number one, opened my eyes to TCU. Quite frankly, sure, I didn't really know what this place was all about. I had no idea how good the facilities were. I had no idea what the level of commitment from the university administration, from the fan base, from the city of Fort Worth. I mean, I just didn't really know what a what a diamond in the rough this place was. First of all, second of all, I had a chance to work for, you know, the most successful coach in the school history, a, a legend, you know, Gary Patterson, he did a remarkable job here at TCU building this program. So I learned a lot, you know, from him about, about how to run this place and what it could be and what it was capable of being. Uh, and then I think the third thing for me was, you know, I'd kind of had a rough go at Cal. I'd taken over a program that, um, you know, needed to be rebuilt from the bottom up. You know, we had a bunch of changes in our administration, our athletic director and president and some people left And it was kind of me on an island out there for a while. And that was a a tough place to be, you know. And we got it going. We got better. We won won eight games in year three, won a bowl game, had the first pick in the NFL draft. But there just wasn't a ton of stability in the program. And so Mm -hmm. I lost a little bit of confidence, quite frankly, because of that. You know, when you go someplace and it doesn't go the way you think it's going to, you can't help but look at yourself and go, what did I do wrong? And I think coming here to TCU, I think it made me realize we were closer uh, than I than I probably thought we were. You know, we ran the program the right way. We did it the right way. Certainly, we made some mistakes and needed to make some adjustments and had a million things that we would do over again. But I think at the end of the day, it gave me that confidence I needed to go to SMU and execute the plan that we had over there, uh, which allowed me to end up here at TCU.
1: Yeah, well, it's been a great transition, Coach. Not at the tiniest, bit surprised. Finally, we'll get you out here with this. Oklahoma State this weekend. You know, (laughs) obviously a big one, uh, one that I know you're early in the week preparing for. But so far, first glimpse of the Cowboys. What have you seen from them and what do you need to do well this week?
0: Well, I think the big thing about Oklahoma State, you you look at their program, I think it's 16 consecutive bowl eligible seasons. I mean, it's really remarkable uh, the job that that Mike Gundy's done there. I mean, no one's been more consistent in college football than he has. And, Mm -hmm. you know, their teams play hard. They know how to win. And so when you play against somebody like these guys, the margin for error just gets smaller. They just don't make a ton of mistakes. Uh, they know they understand winning football. They have a lot of good players. Obviously, starts with Spencer Sanders, a quarterback. You know, he's uh, he can really throw it, um, and he's also a very, very good runner and has an ability just to make plays in big games. Um, you know, they're solid up front on the offensive defensive front. That's a trademark of their program. You know, they do a great job developing players in their strength and conditioning program, and it shows up on their offensive defensive line. And then they have the kind of athletes on, on the back end of the defense and at the wide receiver position that you would expect to see uh, from Oklahoma state. They always find guys. They always do a great job developing them. And they always do a really, really good job with their offense. I mean, it doesn't really matter who the coordinators are. They have a plan. They know what they're going to do and they go out and they execute it every week.
1: Very good coach, man. Awesome stuff. Best of luck this week. Congrats on an amazing start. We can't wait to watch you guys on Saturday on ABC. That'll be a big audience. And, And I know your team will play awesome. We look forward to watching it.
0: Yeah, Greg, it's always good seeing you. Still mad at you about not coming to Texas Tech, but I guess it worked out for you, you know?
1: (laughs) Uh, Does anyone on that staff ever forget? Like, Uh I I see Coach Leach all the time. He references, like, Coach, of all things, you're going to talk about that. Like, it's only been 20 years. Like, come on, man. You're a heartbreaker. You've
0: always been a heartbreaker, man. (laughs) I
1: I don't know about all. It worked out all right for you guys. And of course, Coach is working out for you well right now, man. So happy for you. And we look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Okay, thanks, Greg. Appreciate it.
1: Football season is here, and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Receiver reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See vividseats.com rewards for terms and conditions. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings, and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right. Moving along, we did this yesterday. Midterm grades. We're almost at the midway point of the season, which is both exciting and also disappointing all at the same time. I don't really know how else to describe it. Like I'm super bummed and also at the same time, like I'm glad that we're starting to reveal where these programs are at, where these programs are heading. and We all know this. Hey, man, first year is difficult. Like Transition is hard. And a lot of teams, some have been phenomenal. SC is a good example. Having some guys come in, some guys that transfer to SC, and next thing you know, Lincoln's got it up and rolling. And some guys, maybe it hasn't worked so well. Maybe missed a couple guys in the portal and lost a bunch as a result of the last coach leaving. So we went through and did five coaches yesterday. We have Five that we planned for today, but we're going to actually toss in four extras. Why not? Right. Might as well. So let's do it. Coops, where are we heading next?
2: All right. Midterm grade for Oregon's
1: Dan Lanning. What are you giving him? Well, first of all, based on week one performance, right? Everyone, and I remember the reaction, and this is a perfect example of like how messed up the media is. And by the way, I like I consider myself a member of the media, but not really. Like I feel fairly level headed, not overly reactionary. Feel like kind of try to see the bigger picture. But there were people after week one saying, oh, boy, did Oregon hire the right guy? Y'all remember this? Yes, it got sideways against the Georgia Bulldogs. It didn't look good. It wasn't pretty. And as a result, people were crushing Dan Lanning, saying he is unfit. To lead the program. Well, what has he done since he's rallied and he's won five straight? And I would argue that outside of the Washington State game, which I think still is a really good win. We looked at that game that week. We talked about it. Say, man, you go to Pullman. Tricky spot. You just beat the number 12 team in the country the week before and playing BYU. Now you got to come back, rally against a team that's rock solid. Remember last week, Washington State was four and one. Prior to traveling to SC, that one loss came to Oregon, and it wasn't pretty. It required a fourth-quarter rally, but all things considered, man, win's a win. So they've won five in a row. They now will host UCLA here in a couple weeks, so we'll get an even better indicator of where Oregon is. They get a win against UCLA, man. They're strongly, I mean, literally, look at this. You get a win against UCLA. Here's their next five games, okay? At Cal... They'll be heavily favored there at Colorado. Don't even get me started with the Buffaloes. Washington at home, rivalry game. I really like Oregon in that spot. At uh, Utah at home as well. Utah looks fairly gettable based on what we saw last week. And then you're at Oregon State, which would be a difficult game, tough game, road trip, rivalry game, some, like very, very, very difficult game there at the end. But man, you're looking at a team that might be nine and three, ten and two. Who knows? Eleven and one. If they can keep, take care of business at home and then take care of business in the rivalry games, man, I mean it's it's not totally out of the question. So I think it's been a great job of getting through that first one, tossing the film away, and moving on. Dan Landing, I think, deserves a B plus. It's been an excellent start. The one reason why he's outside of the A column is because it was so bad against uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs, and and there really was was never that close at all in that game.
2: That would be the Pac-12's worst nightmare and if an 11 and 1 uh, Oregon won the Pac-12 because they just can't get in the playoff because Why of that though? Game, Why though? Right? Why can't they? Because it still happened. You can't just miss a game that it didn't happen. Everybody talks about how important the regular season is. Granted it was week 1 and they had to travel across the country, but it still happened. I mean, they barely but got off the But if they're plane.
1: 11 and 1 and win the Pac-12, they will have rallied and won 12 straight games. At that point, I'd be willing to argue it'd be among the longest winning streaks in college football. So you're looking at a spot you know, where, sure, yes, that happened. It was week one, and it was hideous. But they might have had a lot of great performances along the way. And yes, they've been operating on very thin ice, almost playoff-like environments every week because you're losing, you're out. Two lost teams haven't made the playoff yet. So I, look, I don't think Oregon's going to make the playoffs. I think they'll stumble at some point here in the next few weeks. I think they're probably closer to a 9-3 and football team than they are an 11-1 to football team. But ultimately, still a very good job of rebounding after an atrocious opener. So got to give credit where credit is due. I think Dan Lang's done a pretty good job of getting this team back on the tracks, getting them heading in the right direction, and playing well on both sides of the football.
2: All right, moving all the way across the country to Miami. Midterm grade for Mario Cristobal.
1: So Miami is an interesting one. Um, they've lost three straight and haven't really looked great in the process. It was a little better performance against North Carolina, but still n- not great. Of course, the middle Tennessee performance was makes me want to vomit. Uh, and then the road trip to A&M. We've seen how good A&M's defense is. So scoring nine points is never good, but at least you know you did so against quality competition on the defensive side of the football. So uh, terrible. Uh, all things considered the last three weeks. Their only win so far against Southern Miss, not a terrible team, and Bethune-Cookman. How can you give him anything other than a C teetering on the edge of a D? I mean, like I'll say C because I do think there were challenges on this roster That he inherited and remember last year that team finished really, really strong and they were played hard for their coach and they decided to rip things up and do things totally differently and it hasn't necessarily come to fruition just yet. It's been a lot of growing pains and if they don't get a win on the road this week against Virginia Tech, he will go from the C to a D and we all know that Blacksburg is not the easiest place to play, but we all know that Virginia Tech not very good. So I think that this is a must win for Mario Cristobal because if he doesn't get this one, yeah, they got Duke at home. I mean, Duke's a better football team. Miami should win, but Duke's a better football team. You're at Virginia, not necessarily the easiest game in the world. You got Florida State at home. Florida State's playing good football. I know they lost the last couple of weeks, but ultimately, pretty good football team and that has improved in a lot of ways. You got at Georgia Tech, they're playing way better since Brent Key took over as the interim head coach. You're at Clemson, that's a loss. Pitt at home, who knows exactly how that's going to go. So uh, you're on very thin ice if you're Miami and you lose this one because then you're looking at two and four and in very unrealistic likelihood of making it to the postseason, which is not good given the young players that are competing on that roster. So got to get those extra practices. But right now it's a C with a loss this week. Revisit this conversation down the road, Coops, because D is very much in the crosshairs if, in fact, they come home with an L this weekend.
2: That'd be a tough loss at Virginia Tech.
1: All right, moving up
2: in the state of Florida to the University of Florida, Billy Napier. What is his midterm grade?
1: Well, right now, Billy Napier is going to be a B, which is to me, I know that's not average, but it feels a little bit average. There have been some great moments. And there have been some substandard moments. For instance, Utah win week one, excellent. The way they ran the football, the way they got things going, and the way they stood up in crunch time on defense to make pivotal turnovers and to stop guy or make just one turnover. But they also had that goal line stand. So, really, two turnovers in the game on critical down and distance. That was a great performance. The Kentucky game, awful. Like terrible performance, offensively challenged, no creativity in the plan. Anthony Richardson didn't look comfortable whatsoever. And so that game, you get an A from Utah, you get an F from Kentucky. Where's you know somewhere in the middle, you get a C. But I really do think even the performance on the road at Tennessee, they addressed some of the issues, were much better on fourth down, and they gave themselves a chance. Now Tennessee, I think, arguably could look at themselves in the mirror and say, "Well, we kind of let them back in the game, sure," but Ultimately, Florida had possession of the football with an opportunity to steal it. So I think that's a successful and a passing grade for Billy Napier. That the win against South Florida was hideous, but they found a way to get it done. And then they looked pretty good against Eastern Washington there on that Sunday. And then last week against Missouri, not great. So it's been kind of up and down so far, but I don't think it's been negative. I mean, it's a very, very different style of attack from what they've used in the past. I think they've been better at times on the defensive side of the football. So there've been some positives, but there's also been some growing pains. I think B is appropriate right now because you see growth taking place on this team in each of the last couple of weeks. So they have, now we're going to get a good indicator of where they're at this week against LSU, who I think is in a similar spot to where Florida is both are sitting at four and two. Sure. That's not necessarily the record that they would want, both are sitting at four and two, but both have been kind of, hmm, you know, ho hum at times this year. So this would be a huge win for Florida this week. I'm going to put Billy Napier as a B, but with a win this week, he could slide up to a B plus because the schedule after that does get a little bit interesting. If they don't get a win against LSU at home, they go to Georgia. Well, not to Georgia Jacksonville, obviously, but you got Georgia the following week. Then you got at AM in consecutive weeks. Now a and Who knows what they're going to be at that point? Any given week, you're not sure what the Aggies are going to be. But either way, that's not necessarily a slam-duck W. South Carolina is a team that's given them fits in the past. They get them at home. They go to Vandy, and they go to Florida State. So this, I think, considering the fact that they play four of the next five games away from Gainesville, is a very important game for the Gators. So it's a must-win, I think, in a lot of ways for Billy Napier and his staff.
2: All right, going to the Big 12 now. Out in Lubbock, Joey Maguire. What's his midterm
1: grade? I'm actually going to say that he is an A-. minus. Now, it's hard for me to say that with a straight face, given the fact that they've lost three out of four. But sandwiched in those three losses is a win against Texas. And that matters for Texas Tech. That's for sure. Of course, they didn't look great in that game. Two touchdowns down there in the fourth quarter. Found a way to fight back, claw back, get back into the mix, and be able to pull it off in overtime. But either way, man, I mean, this team, yes, you lose on the road at NC State. Not easy. You lose on the road at Kansas State. Not easy. You lose on the road at Oklahoma State, but you look really good for two and a half quarters in the process. Yeah, this team, it hasn't been great for them away from home. But think about how things could have gone here in the first month of the season, month and change of the season. This is a team, the only game that was a slam dunk, no doubt winner, was a game against Murray State in week one. Remember, they played Houston. Houston, at this point, was a ranked football team. And the next four games, all against ranked competition. So you had five straight games against teams that were currently, at the time that they played them, they were ranked in the top 25. That is pretty dang impressive. The fact that they were able to get two out of two to go two and three in that stretch. So it's been a really really difficult month of football for the Red Raiders, and yet they've survived. Now they get two games at home. I think they have to go two and zero for me to feel really really good and to keep Joey McGuire in the A category. You got Oklahoma, or excuse me. You got West Virginia, and you got Baylor at home here the next couple weeks after the bye week, and that I think will kind of tell the tale of their season. Then you go at TCU. Kansas comes to you. You're at Iowa State. That'll be a difficult game for sure. And then you got Oklahoma at home in the final game of the regular season. If they can get to bowl eligibility seven and five, eight and four, huge, huge year. I don't think they're getting an eight and four. I think six and six should be the goal here in year number one in a year of transition. And you also lost your starting quarterback, too, man. How many teams have we seen lose a starting quarterback and. They've played now three different guys at the position, I might add, and yet they're still finding a way to make things competitive. So it's been an unbelievably difficult stretch for the Red Raiders, but things lighten up just a hair from here on out. I think Texas Tech's done a great job. The other thing about Texas Tech too, I don't think anybody had much you know, expectations for them this year. thought they had a chance to maybe be dangerous, but what I love most is how much Joey McGuire has endeared himself to the university, to their fans. Their fans believe that they can play with and will play well against anyone. Look at the money that's now come in. They've done a great job of getting people involved in their NIL. They've already announced infrastructure improvements with their facilities and their stadium. So the excitement is there for Texas Tech right now. And I think that's a little bit of a part of the job right now for Joey McGuire. And he has passed every single one of those tests with flying colors. I'm going to put him right now, even though the record hasn't been great, I'm going to put him at a rock-solid A-minus.
2: All right. Moving on. Tony Elliott at Virginia.
1: What's his midterm grade? Here's a tricky one because what I'm trying – this team is one of the more confusing teams in college football to me. They've lost four of five. They're two and four. They're one of the worst teams in the ACC, and they just lost at home to Louisville, who started a backup quarterback, got out to a 10-0 lead, and the next thing you know, boom, Louisville outscores them 34 to 7 down the stretch and they get beat down badly. What I can't figure out is this team was like gangbusters offensively last year. I mean, scoring a million points, great weapons, moving the ball up and down the field. And yet this year, you go and hire an offensive head coach in Tony Elliott and you can't score. I mean, here's your scores and your losses, okay? They have, by the way, this year, they have not scored more than outside of the game against Richmond. I'm talking about games against FBS competition. They have not scored more than 20 points in the game. Against Illinois, they scored three points. All right? Against Old Dominion, they scored 16. Against Syracuse, they scored 20, and they needed a late rush in the second half to score 20. Against Duke, they scored 17. And against Louisville, they scored 17. Like This was a team that was one of the best offenses of college football. You bring your quarterback back. I mean, it just makes no sense. So at this point, I'm sure, look, Tony Elliott's first head job. I'm sure there was probably a lot of people on the roster that were disgruntled. The fact that Bronco Mendenhall decided to step away from the game. I'm sure that there's probably some rehabilitation that needed to be done in the locker room that have probably been a little bit difficult for Tony Elliott to try to manage. But I can't look at what's transpired and give him anything other than a C-. I don't think he's down in the Ds. I don't think this is a failing grade. But I do think that C- is only thing that's appropriate because I think he inherited what was a much more difficult situation than people like to assume. And the transition has not been met with without any resistance, or it certainly doesn't seem that way when I watch the tape. So feel bad for Tony Elliott, uh, but ultimately, man, you know the buck stops with you as a head coach, and things don't look like they're going to get much easier. You now have to go on the road to Georgia Tech, who's playing much better. That'll be on the 20th, so you'll be playing on Thursday night football. You're, then you have Miami, who's going to be in a gotta-win-it situation. You have North Carolina at home, who's really good offensively. You have Pitt, who found themselves finally for the first time this year, it felt like they put together a really nice second half performance this most recent week. Coastal Carolina is one of the more difficult group of five teams in America. And you go to Virginia Tech in the in the in a rivalry game when you're on the road there in the final week of the regular season. Tell me any of those games that's a surefire, no doubt, W. Cause I can't give you one. I wouldn't be shocked if this seems sitting there at three and nine, two and ten at season's end. And that is going to be a very difficult thing to swallow, given how good they were at times last year. All right,
2: picking it up in the same state, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, McElroy. What is his midterm grade?
1: Well, a lot of the same things that were said about Virginia uh, can actually be said a little bit about Virginia Tech. The one difference being the fact that Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion. Virginia beat the Old Dominion. So if Tony Elliott got a C-minus, Brent Pry gets a D plus, right, just slightly below. All because of the performance against the Monarchs, and albeit yes, I remember the game. I watched it. I understand that there were a million different mistakes that Virginia Tech made that inevitably led to Old Dominion winning the game. I get that they had no business winning it. I also think too. You could point to it. Well, they got a win in the ACC. I get that. That was early. Boston College was not playing well at that point. It was week two in the, in the season. They bounced back nicely in that game, but they haven't really been competitive in each of the last few weeks. And I know people will say, well, did you watch the first half of the Virginia or against the Virginia Sec game and the Pitt game? Yeah, I watched the first half of that game. And I also watched the second half and I saw you get torched on the ground. So a little bit troubling when you take that into account as well, knowing that Brent Prize his bread and butter's defense, man. And it hasn't necessarily come full circle yet and each of the last three weeks they've given up a cool 86 points in the last two weeks plus 33 to 10 against Virginia uh, against West Virginia a few weeks ago and West Virginia is not great either so uh, I think Virginia Tech's got a whole world of issues and not that dissimilar to some of the teams that we've talked about already you got difficult games coming up Miami at NC State you're at Liberty in the group of five that's not an easy one to play You're at Duke. Duke's playing a whole heck of a lot better. Doesn't look like it's going to be that great this year. If they can somehow turn things around and get to a bowl game, that'd be a remarkable achievement. But I think that's highly unlikely based on how they've played in the first half of the season.
2: All right, moving on to the next one. Mike Elko at Duke. What is Mike Elko's midterm grade?
1: Well, we just talked about Duke. I mean, look at how much better they're playing this year compared to where they were. Now, yes, they lost close. To Georgia Tech, but they also lost on the road at Kansas. I mean, those are the only two losses that Duke has right now. They're sitting at four and two. I think the possibilities of getting to the postseason are extremely real. A win at Boston College is within reason. Virginia Tech comes to them. That's within reason. But I think they have to win those two because I don't like their chances against North Carolina. I don't like their chances on the road at Miami. I don't like their chances getting a win at Pitt, nor do I like their chances against Wake Forest in the final game of the season. So those are four losses right there. You better get the two that you're supposed to get. However, if you look at Duke up to this point, they are playing much better, both offensively and defensively. This team kind of struggled there for a while, man, the final few years under David Cutcliffe. I love David Cutcliffe, but you can tell that Mike Elko's come in and is invigorated the fan base, he's invigorated the football team, breathed some life into him, and now I think they're doing a pretty decent job on both sides of the ball relative to where they were. So because they've lost close games and because I think we might still fast forward to season's end and this team might miss the postseason, I'm going to put him at B+. Plus. But, man, he's done a really nice job so far this year. He really has. Couldn't agree more. All right, moving out west to Washington, Kalen DeBoyer. What's his midterm grade? Well, it was uh, just a couple weeks ago. And what a difference 10, 12, 15 days makes. Because if you look at where they were, gosh, two weeks ago or so, I mean, they're sitting there in the top 15. They will have dominated Michigan State. That was a great win for them. But now everything's kind of come back to earth. It's one thing to lose close on a Friday night at UCLA, that's a forgivable loss. But to lose against Arizona State, with an interim coach, and to give up 45 in the process, that is extremely, extremely disheartening. Look, Arizona State showed signs of life against SC, so maybe that team's going to play better down the stretch. But man, Washington, that's a difficult one to stomach. They're going to have to bounce back, and I think they can still finish strong but I wouldn't be surprised. I said it a couple weeks ago. After watching them against UCLA, there are some flaws on this football team. I think they're probably an eight and four football team, which, by the way, is a pretty solid turnaround in year number one. But eight and four is very, very different than the project than the projections that you were getting just a couple weeks ago. They have some issues. They have some flaws. So I think getting things turned around and being exciting has been really, really strong for Kalen DeBoer. So I'm going to give him a B. But they need to continue to kind of get back to their winning ways and get back in a rhythm offensively. They need to play much better on the defense side of the football because the last two weeks are not what I am want to see from this point moving forward. They're better than that, I think, on defense. So better clean things up, especially in the secondary. And if they don't, man, they're staring at some losses down the stretch.
2: All right, staying in state in our final coach, uh, Power 5 new coach, Jake Dickert. What's his midterm grade?
1: Well, lost two in a row, um, you know, losing to SC the way you lost. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not one that you're going to lose a lot of sleep over. I mean, it was a close game. Penalties kind of allowed SC to, to kind of extend a drive or two, and they took full advantage of that. And that should be commended for SC. Uh, I also think, too, when you look at Washington State, they've actually done a pretty good job. Of course, the win against Wisconsin, we now kind of know what Wisconsin is. At that point, that was a huge win. We're sitting there saying, look at what Washington State's doing. It's a huge win, but we kind of realize now that Wisconsin maybe isn't as advertised. The loss to Oregon had to have crushed you because you had them on the ropes. You're in prime position there in the fourth quarter, and Oregon storms back with an incredible fourth quarter performance to steal it right out from underneath you. But you responded nicely the following week to get a good solid dominant competitive win against Cal. The best part about what Washington State has right now is home field. Their home field is a beast. Now, will they be able to go on the road to Oregon State and be able to take care of business? Probably not. But they get Utah at their place. They get Washington at their place. They get Arizona State at their place. Those three games, I'm not saying they're they're going to all be won, but those games are all winnable, especially in Pullman. Then you got to pr- surprise someone, maybe pull off a stunner. On the road, maybe it's at Arizona, maybe it's at Stanford. I think they'll, I think they should be able to handle Stanford. I'm not real thrilled with what I've seen from the Cardinal Love to this point. So I think this has been a bowl team for sure. I think Jake, I think Dickert's done a really, really nice job, and probably deserves a, a grade very similar to that of his Apple State predecessor, who we just talked about. I think a B right now with what's going on at Washington State's very, very strong, but a strong finish could definitely elevate to to a B plus, maybe even a minus by season's end. All right, now we got to turn our attention just for a little bit of news and notes coming out of the National Football League. Matt Rule, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, formerly of Temple, formerly of Baylor, has been fired. Now, the reason why that matters, look, we we don't spend a lot of time talking about the NFL on this program, and we won't uh, for good reason. (laughs) we watch enough college football on Saturday. All right. Sunday's like have it on in the background. Check your fantasy team. Cool. Like I like the NFL. I'm like, I I mean, I appreciate great players. Like, sure. Like I watch it, but I live college football. All right. So we don't talk about a lot here, but Matt rule of course is going to be at the top of everyone's list right now when it comes to possible hiring process. Look, there's a lot of jobs open. There's five jobs open right now everyone and their brother wants to bring Matt rule to their place because of the success he had turning things around at Baylor and building temple into a place that was awful into a place that you actually won games at. So what's going to happen with Matt rule? Like I'm fairly familiar with the situation in regards to Matt rule. I know people um, that are very close to him and I can tell you exactly what I've been told. There are a very, very, small number of schools that Matt Rule would strongly consider being the head coach at. Doesn't mean he won't listen to overtures. Doesn't mean he won't entertain opportunities. And it doesn't mean money doesn't talk. Because money can, of course, change everything. But at this point right now, he has $40 million that's owed to him from the Carolina Panthers. And every dollar he makes at the college level will be offset. So he's guaranteed forty just a matter of how much the Carolina Panthers are actually going to pay. I've been told he is in no rush to get back into the college game. I've also been told that he is going to be incredibly picky. There are only, like I said, a couple of jobs he would strongly consider. None of those jobs are currently open, and they are unlikely to come open this offseason. Look, anything can happen. Things change every single day. You never know how this whole thing is going to unfold. But if I had 20 bucks right now and I had to place a wager on what Matt Rule will do next year, I'm taking 20 bucks and I'm putting it on television because I think he's going to be calling games and or doing studio work for television in 2023, sitting out, evaluating the scene yet again, seeing what comes open, and then maybe it's next year that he takes the lead but don't anticipate matt rule just jumping into a job right now unless we're talking about legit situations you probably know what those situations are i might add he ain't going to any of the five places that are open right now barring something completely unforeseen and barring a complete change of heart we'll let me see ask what you happens.
2: this though oh i gotta i gotta ask though because it's not like temple was this destination and frankly it's not like baylor was the destination and you have these five jobs opening now, and all of them need to be rebuilt from the ground up. Matt Rule is the guy that can do that. He's proven it at two places. So, I mean, like, he wouldn't even consider a Nebraska if they threw no. enough
1: money at him. He
2: wouldn't consider...
1: No. Well, it doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter at this point. He's getting $40 million. It's just a matter of who's it, who's it coming from and how is it going to be distributed or whatever. Uh the reason why is I, I think at both Baylor and Temple, you could do things his way with no meddling. And I think that there are certain expectations at certain places that you have to recruit a very specific player. Uh, you have to go get this four-star. He's from, he's from Omaha or he's from Iowa City or wherever. Like We got to take him. Like He's in our footprint. We got to take him. Well, he doesn't fit what we do. Nope, got to take him anyways. He's the best player in this part of the country, whatever. I mean, it's... And I don't think Matt Rule has any interest in doing that. Um, I also think Matt Rule has done it now at the group of five level. He's done it at the power five level. And ultimately, like, wh- what's going to move him? Like, rebuilding? Is it money? Like, or is it the opportunity to win a national championship? And does he look at the five programs that are currently open? Does he look at those? Or does he look at the programs that are likely going to come open at some point this year? Does he look at those? And does he say, yeah, I can win a national championship at that place. Because based on what I've seen in the twenty first century, I don't know if you can win a national championship in Nebraska. I, I've the utmost respect for that program and the history and the tradition and the tradition that they've had at Nebraska for the best better part of five, six, seven decades or whatever it's been. But I don't know in the current landscape if Nebraska can win a national championship. Uh, I actually don't think they can. I think they could be competitive. I think they can be impactful. And I think every couple of years they could rally up and potentially win a Big 10 or win a Big 10 West. But I don't, I haven't seen anything in the last decade and change to suggest that they can get and surpass that of Ohio State, of Georgia, of Alabama, of the other programs that are elevating right now. I haven't seen that. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that they can be relevant. But I think Matt rule will be moved by the opportunity to win a national championship. I don't think he cares about the money at this point. I'm not sure he cares about the rebuilding process and I'm sure he loves coaching, but I don't think he's going to be in a big rush to go to a place that has had challenges winning in recent years. He's going to go to a ready-made winner, do it his way and see if he can't get them over the hump. That's what I anticipate from him anyways. So, and that's also what I've been told about the situation. So don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) That's just what I was told. All right. I'll keep you updated too, by the way. I can't tell you all the specifics, but I can hint at them. And if you use context clues, hopefully you can kind of connect the dots to some of the things I'm saying. We shall see. Uh, Matt Rule is a great coach though. And if if I were a school and I had an opening... I'd be all over them. <laughs> That's for sure. For all of us here at Always College Football, we really appreciate you being with us. Please join us again tomorrow. We'll have our 10 questions. We'll get into some of the matchups coming up later this week. There are some massive matchups, by the way. So we look forward to breaking some of those down and maybe answering some of those questions that you might have about the games coming up this weekend. A couple of days from now, we'll have Chris the Bear Felica. So we have a big full week of entertaining shows to hit later in the week. Hit us up on our social media at AlwaysCFB. Give us a like, give us a follow, or whatever the heck kids do these days. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I try to social media. That's right. I used it as a verb. I try to social media. I'm just not great at it. I try. Uh, you can also hit us up on our email. Toss us a mailbag question. We'll get to some of those tomorrow at AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, for Jack, for Jack. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.